Casey and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by My Hockey Resource and Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Andrew Piercy, founder of Vision Hockey Group and Newfoundland Scout with QMJHL Central Scouting. Dedicated to the craft of skills training, Andrew does a lot of work with players in Newfoundland and has a number of great ideas in the field of skill development and progressing to that next level. For those looking for advice and perspectives from a frontline coach and scout, he does a tremendous job of providing that very information in this interview and I am excited to share it with you today. With that, here is Andrew Piercy, founder of Vision Hockey Group and Newfoundland Scout with QMJHL Central Scouting. Lately, you've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how Payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. This week is jam-packed with action, ranging from basketball to golf, and DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front-row seat to all of the action. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night and is simple to do. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Each player has a salary associated with drafting them. Assemble a lineup of players while staying under the salary cap and then sit back and watch your points pile up. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports. And DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there's no better place to get in on all the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit, only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Andrew Piercy, founder of Vision Hockey Group and Newfoundland Scout with QMJHL Central Scouting. AP, thanks for joining the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, for those who are listening, uh, me and AP work together pretty much on a daily basis. So this is kind of just a, a more of a laid back conversation, but I'm going to uh, try to pump AP's tires a little bit here and, and go through his career and talk about some of his philosophies. So AP, let's start off by just telling a little bit about yourself, including where you're from, and then your involvement in sports throughout your youth. I grew up in St. John's, um, started playing hockey. My mom taught me how to skate when down to the old Memorial Stadium here in St. John's and started playing hockey at age five. Um, my dad kind of took over from there. Um, dad was a pretty well-known figure in hockey here. He played um, with the St. John's Caps in senior hockey and had a couple of offers to play uh, with St. With Louis. Uh, had a tryout offer with St. Louis Blues and with the Buffalo Sabres, but never took them, more or less because of confidence. I, I don't think back then there was the world and hockey was a lot more spread out than it is today. So dad taught me a lot of things about the game. And um, growing up, I played in the Avalon Minor Hockey Association, but there wasn't as much elite or summer hockey back then here. There was one particular summer hockey group that we did some like travel programs and went to Toronto and went to uh, some of the tournaments there um, played like Atlantic selects. There was a Atlantic hockey group used to have a, a kind of a showcase thing where 
I played Atlantic, uh, Atlantic Selects and we would do tournaments in Boston and we would do tournaments in Toronto, um, uh, the old Ronald McDonald tournament and so on. Played against some really, really world-class players at those tournaments like Rick Nash and those guys were all around our age. So you'd play against those teams a lot. Um, then I went on to play, I played like A or we call it AAA. And then um, went on to play with the St. John's Maple Leafs midget AAA team. There was only one AAA team back then. I played my midget was different back then. It was, uh, it was only two years, not three like it is today. So I played my first year midget at 16. And then the following season, I had options. I was drafted by the Halifax Mooseheads. I was drafted really late. I went to camp. We had a powerhouse team. That was the year that Thatcher Bell and Brandon Benedict and all those guys, Alex Picard, they were all back and they were going to take a run at the Mem Cup. They brought in J.F. Sear, John LaBelle. Like they brought in some big names at that time that were big names in the Quebec League. And Thatcher Bell was going to play in the NHL. He was just a second round pick and by Vancouver, I believe. So like they had a real, real strong team. So I went up to camp. I was cut fairly early. Um, then I went, actually, as soon as I got home, I received a call from Pembroke. I had been talking to some junior A teams, um, but Pembroke were probably the most interested. They had been calling a lot. And I, I think it was like I got home on, say, a Tuesday. On a Sunday, I was flying up there. Uh, my parents didn't know where Pembroke, Ontario was. I didn't really know where it was, to be quite honest with you. It's a different world now where you type in on Google Pembroke, Ontario. But back then, the internet was just kind of in its infancy. Like, you had to look at it on a map. Uh, my family was very late to pick up on technology. So like, I don't even think we had internet in our house at the point when I went away, my parents dropped me off at the airport and were like, peace, like see you at Christmas time. There, there was none of this coming home. Um, halfway through, we we're coming home Thanksgiving. I went up and um, two people had a sign there said, and my name was on it. So we drove out and like, we were driving, it seemed like forever in the forest. So I'm like, are they just taking me out? Like some type of M. Night Shyamalan movie. And then this little town comes up and it was, I remember driving and, and saying like, is this close to Montreal? They're like, it's about four hours away. I'm like, how close to it is Toronto? And they're like, oh, it's a four, about four hours. And I'm saying, well, you're close to everything. And they're like, no, nah, not really. You're kind of in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so I remember the, these two people saying that to me and I, they dropped me off my billets. I lived with three guys from Ontario that particular season. I played with the Pembroke Lumber Kings in the Central Junior League. Um, three guys, they all went on to have real successful hockey careers, actually. Um, Scott Campbell played um, the East Coast League, played in Europe for a bunch of years. It was with the Minnesota Wild organization for a little while. Travis Fuller was a third, fourth round pick by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Great guy. Went on to play with the Barry Colts and went on to play in Gwinnett in the East Coast League. And, and Jason Walters, I think Jason's still one of the top five uh, assist leaders in Union College history, D1. And I think he's still living over in Europe. He might still have some type of playing career going or a player coach or he's work. He's living over. He was in some of the lower uh, pro leagues over in Europe. So we had a really good house. Um, I played, a, I played a lot at the beginning of that season. I had a concussion probably halfway through lost a lot of confidence. Uh, I was probably playing hurt for most of that season um, because there was very little studies on concussions at that time. So, um, you know, I, I played that year. And then I came home, went back. That was when the Sheldon Keefe organization, the David Frost, they all, they purchased our team from Terry Olszewski. who was the GM at the time. I went back and, and Kevin Abrams, they, they liked me, but they were bringing in a lot of guys that they were familiar with. So I, I got traded to PEI. Uh, it was a really, a really good deal for Charlottetown because I scored 35 that year for in the Maritime League and they traded me for like 500 bucks. So it was a pretty good trade for them. 
Um, I went, I had, I had a really good career in the maritime league. I think I'm still one of the top 50 scores in the league. I think somebody told me that stat like a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, I got traded from Charlottetown to Amherst in a trade. Charlottetown were looking for a defenseman and Amherst were looking for some scoring. So I think I got traded at that point. I was one of the top point producers in that league. When I got traded, it was a pretty big trade at the time. And I had a lot of success in Amherst and I, no, no, no offense to anyone in Charlottetown. I had a great time there. I really got a chance to play and really kind of developed my my game at the junior A level there uh, because they were such a young team. They just come off a Royal Bank Cup. Uh, they hosted. So the following year, they had, um, they had a really, really young team. They're going to build around the 1985 age group. So uh, I got a lot of opportunities to play. And then the following season, they um, they brought a few guys in and I guess they didn't really like my style of play. They liked the more of a physical brand of hockey. I guess I didn't really fit into that. I got traded to Amherst and I, I had a really good career at Amherst. Um, I owe a lot to the people there. Fan base was awesome. Uh, just had a really, really good time there. We won, we won our division my 20 year old year and we lost to Woodstock in the final, but they were a really, really strong team that year. They had five or six guys that went on to play pro or youth sport. Justin Bowers probably being the best one went on to play a little bit in the A. So then after that, I, I had some options. Um, I was going to go play D3 and I didn't, I felt like I didn't really want to do that. And then I came home and I had a couple of senior teams. There was a semi-pro league here that pays fairly well. I wanted to go to school. I, I didn't, I wasn't really sure of myself at this particular point. And I decided to go coaching. I was coaching um, tri-pin midget AAA or under 18 AAA for half a season. And then after that, I had a couple of senior teams kept calling me, kept calling me. And I was like, you know what, I'll go play again. You know, I, I still have, I'm still only 21 years old. I still have it in me. I can still do it. And uh, I still had some shoulder issues from my last season junior that were still bothering me a little bit. And um, I came back and played eight years of senior. I won three herders and had a lot of individual success, but I think the three herders were more important than the individual stuff. Uh, great, great experiences. I had a couple offers to go play in the Southern Pro League from that. Uh, Knoxville called. Fayetteville called um, a team from the Central League, Wichita called. Uh, I said no to all of them. Just I was I was happy being a, a bigger fish in a smaller pond and got a chance to play in the Allen Cup. My jersey's in the Hall of Fame, actually, and it with the Hockey Hall of Fame. So like that symposium, I think if I ever had kids, I'd call ahead and ask for that symposium to be brought out because that would be super, super cool. Um, the Hockey Hall of Fame being in, even just having my jersey in there is pretty cool. They send you like this really, really fancy piece of paper with like, you know, they make comments about your jersey and this and that. And you've got to write, you know, sign it and send it back to them and everything. So just some really cool experiences. And I, I have no uh, regrets looking back on my playing career. I stopped playing at age 29 due to uh, some head injuries that I had sustained uh, my last season and compounded concussions. I probably had many during during the years when I was a kid, but you just don't realize that there you don't you don't realize that it was just was so not studied, not discussed. It was just like I had a headache. Well, you know, you just kept playing. There was none of this, uh, you know, like you know, you take two weeks off after that. It was like you know that it was all it was really concussion research and and even knowledge was in its infancy. So I stopped playing. My last season, I took a month off of school. I was finishing my undergrad at the time. And I took a month off work and it was just like, is this really worth it anymore? And to me at that point, it wasn't because I accomplished everything I wanted to at the senior level. And uh, 
I, I just felt like I wasn't going up or down. And that was, that was it for me. And I just said, I think I could contribute more to the game as a coach. And, you know, I've been coaching since I 12, since I was 12, my, my dad started, uh, you know, extreme hockey many, many years ago, along with Andrew McKim. And uh, I've been coaching in that program for a really long time. And even before that with Randy Piercy hockey school, when he was on his own. So I just, I guess, transition into coaching and uh, no regrets. Yeah. A natural transition there in from your playing career into coaching. And uh, you talked about a number of teams there that you were able to have experiences with and, uh, we've talked with teams in the CCHL and, and coaches from that level. And uh, the Amherst Ramblers were definitely a team that was mentioned early on. Uh, Jordan Hunter had talked about them as well. And um, one thing I want to talk about before maybe we move into the coaching is senior hockey. And a lot of people hear the term senior hockey, and it got a little bit of a different um, you know, feel to it in different parts of Canada and the U.S. But in Newfoundland for a while, it was uh, you know a, a pretty big deal. And Brad Yetman was one of those people who talked about it as well in his interview. So maybe just give people a little bit more background on that league and what they can expect if they were uh, going into the arena on those weekend nights. I think back when, when I was playing, the quality of hockey was, it was physical. It was pretty fierce. The teams didn't like each other because it was back when I was playing, it was four teams in the West league, which is the Western Newfoundland league and four teams in the or five in the Eastern Canadian or Eastern Newfoundland league. And um, the West League, you know, when you're playing the same teams over and over and over, you get some pretty mean rivalries. And I remember we played Cornerbrook one time. We played them uh, four games to finish the regular season. And then we played them in a seven-game playoff series. So you play a team 11 times in a row, you are going to absolutely hate the other team. And, and the brand of hockey was very physical. It was very competitive. But there were a lot of guys on every team that had played pro, played minor pro, um, played in the Southern Pro League or Europe or, you know, over in Holland or some of the lower level pro leagues. I would liken the quality of hockey at that time to the West League, especially where there was so much money going in and out. Uh, our team, my last season, 13-14, we had our top line had guys that were playing the A, that had come out of playing in the A, and Cam Fergus had 40 or 45 in the queue probably two or three years before that. So we had a really, really, really strong team. Um, I mean, you look at our team, like Luke Gallant was a three-time, what, three-time AUS champ. Luke Gallant could have played in the AHL, no problem, in my opinion. Our goalie, A.J. Whiffen, played a bit of university, but A.J. backed up um, at, with the Growlers one time and played, and the guys were like, how are you still playing senior? Like, why are you playing senior hockey? So uh, I think the quality of hockey at that particular point was, was good, and you saw a lot of guys that were playing because they didn't want to go away and play, you know, toil in the minors. Guys didn't want to go and play in the Southern Pro League for a couple hundred bucks U.S. and their room and board paid. They wanted to stay home and go to school and, and still make a dollar playing playing hockey and not having to commit to it as their life. Um, but you know, now I think that the budgets and how much teams were paying out really ended up affecting the league overall because the, you know, you can't pay out more than you're bringing in, and that's what I think a lot of teams were doing and. And it's just eventually that that model is not a successful model. And, and now you don't see the league, unfortunately, anymore. But um, hopefully someday we'll be able to watch it again. And, and there will be some more games and more herders and, and more uh, history brought back to the province. Yeah, it'd be nice to see it kind of go back in full swing. And uh, definitely COVID and all these situations now will make things harder. But that's something that we can look forward to hopefully in the future. Um, you talked about extreme hockey and, and kind of getting your start as a coach and, and learning the skills that you use in a lot of your ventures today. Uh, just talk about that program and then your process of coming up 
through the program and, and kind of learning the game of hockey uh, from a coaching perspective? Well, when I was 12 years old, I started doing demonstrations for my father's hockey program. Um, at that time, my father was partnered with Jack Lee, who's now the hockey, uh, who's now the president of Hockey Newfoundland. So they owned a program called the Newfoundland Wildcats. And when I was 12, I'd be going out working with the five, six, seven-year-old groups doing glide turns and and doing, you know, stops and a lot of the basic fundamentals. And I feel like my fundamentals really improved as a result of that, because I mean, you're out doing the, the drills over and over and over and over and over um, the, the techniques, it's the techniques, the repetition. And my father was a really good teacher. He had the teaching background. He, he has a gym, a gym degree or a teaching degree, a phys ed degree from Memorial university. So, I mean, he really understood how to teach the fundamentals and the basic skills of the game. And I think I learned a lot from him about how to teach kids and, and how to talk to them. And I guess maybe genetics plays into factor there as well. My, my mother was a nurse too. So she has that empathy component. So I, I think that the combination of my dad's teaching ability and my mother's empathy, probably, uh, I guess you add those two things together and you have some good qualities for genetics when it comes to coaching. Uh, that's where I got my start, cut my teeth there. And um, as a, as a, you know, got older, I would play in junior. My father left Jack and Jack, Jack and dad had a split. And um, a couple of years later, uh, Andrew McKim had moved back to St. John's where he had kind of had his, his heyday in, in minor pro in the A with the Leafs. And my father and Andrew partnered. And, you know, I learned a lot from Andrew as, as a, as a coach. And I remember going on the bench with him in 2006 and just, you know, my style at that time was a little bit more like my dad's and Andrew really, taught me a lot about how to do bench coaching in you know, the 21st century, so to speak, and just knowing how to work with older players. And Andrew brought a, a very European style of, of power skating, something we had never seen at this time. You know, a lot of mohawking and opening up and a lot of one-legged stuff that we would not been doing to this point. Newfoundlanders had never seen this. So something I definitely took and put in, in my hat as a coach. And I learned, you know, Andrew played the pro level. So there was a lot to learn and I tried to soak up as much as I could. And, um, you know, those two guys really influenced my coaching. Um, I didn't have my levels at that time. So, you know, Andrew suggested and, and dad suggested that I go and, and do my coaching levels. But when I went to H&L, they said like, you, you know, a couple of these here, you know, you do them in their weekend courses, whatever. And then I did my uh, D1 here in the province and, and I did my HP1. I did my HP1 in Nova Scotia. Actually, it was a week-long camp. I went up. It was a fun week. I stayed with a Chinese lady on Airbnb. Um, she 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 some really liked me. She got like the groceries that I wanted and everything like that. It was really really interesting place to stay for uh, for a full week. But uh, she got a good rating on our Airbnb. My I, my Airbnb comments were good, so I'm happy about that. And uh, did my HP, HP one. I met a lot of really cool people with that HP one that I still talk to today. Uh, Brandon Shaw. Uh, Shawzi's with uh, the Port Alberni Bulldogs, the BC League. Him and I were partners for a lot of that. But I mean, our group was like, I was like the worst hockey player in our group. I mean, I was with like Chris Culligan and uh, Nick, I think his name is Nick McNeil. He played for the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles. And then John Sims, Sandy McCarthy. I mean, uh, the coaches that were there, <laughs> there was a lot, of, a lot of NHL experience and a lot of really good hockey players that were uh, sitting in the room that we were talking with. Uh, Brogan Bailey was another guy. I was, you know, that are, these guys are all fairly involved with, uh, with hockey in the Maritimes now. So um, that was a cool experience. And then I passed in all my work and 
HP1 certified. So that, that's kind of where I am at now. And then um, just recently this past July, uh, went to my own direction with, with Vision. And we're really a different company than everybody else that's kind of in the private hockey space right now, Ryan. Like we're very, we're smaller, we're more boutique. It's uh, a lot smaller groups. We operate in really, really strange early morning times. Um, we do a lot more unique projects than other companies and we're not your standard two line power skating program. We're more, you know, small group skills training and more thinking about other things that might not be offered that could really help players get better. And, and I think that that's probably why we've been fairly successful to date is just kind of thinking outside the box and, and what we can do to help players get better and use technology and provide feedback but while still keeping it fun and, and making sure that the, the players are uh, wanting to come back all the time. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great idea and we'll get more into uh, vision for sure as we go through the career. And uh, one of those things with extreme, like you said, you learned a lot of different technical skills and uh, kind of got a new appreciation for the coaching and different aspects of it. And it even took it a step further to then get your certifications. Uh, with those certifications, you then moved into a few different coaching positions uh, in the male division, you know, the Hitman Bantam AAA program being one team in St. John's. Uh, just talk about those experiences, uh, kind of a different perspective for you and uh, what you took, you know, maybe back into the uh, small group sessions from those experiences. Yeah, um, the Hitman was a great experience. I I had been offered a few times by guys to come, you know, come coach with me, come coach with me. And I'd said no, because when you're with extreme, you're on the ice a ton. Uh, I was on the ice probably between 15 to 25 hours a week for, you know, 10 months of the year. So I used to keep track of how many on ice hours I would do. And I would do anywhere between 600 and 800 hours a year. So when you're doing that many hours on ice per year, um, adding a few extra hours to your schedule is not really something that I wanted to do. Uh, because I didn't feel like I could really give the best, my best to, to the kids. And um, also with the schedules, I felt like they were always going to overlap, you know, like I would have to work say Monday night at extreme. And then I potentially would have a Monday night practice. So I wouldn't get to go to the practice. And that's when you really want to connect with the players and connect with the coaches and, you know, pass along your knowledge that you've learned through, you know, the coaching clinics and through playing at a high level and having some great coaches, um, you know, that's really, you know, that was kind of eliminating the purpose of why I want to be involved with that. But PJ Power came to me and John Vich came to me and they're like, you know, I'd really like for you to be involved. We'll give you a lot of autonomy. We'll let you be flexible. If you got to work at extreme or you got to work at your other jobs, you know, I've always been working a million jobs at the same time. Um, they would always say to me, you know, that's a, you can make that a priority and, and don't feel guilty. We've got a good coaching staff here that can kind of pick you up if you, if you can't make it. And, and at that time, PJ wasn't well. So he was kind of feeling like I could come in and feel almost like I was, we were all a coaching team. It wasn't like he was the head coach and everybody else just kind of did work for him. PJ had a really good ability to make everybody feel like we were all part of what we were doing. And they would let me do a lot of special teams and they would let me do a lot of the game planning, the strategy side. And, and it worked really well because we, we just had a really cohesive coaching staff. And I think we passed it on to the players. I think our, my first year coaching the Hitman, we won the, we won the provincials. Didn't do so well at Atlantics, but I think we won the provincials solely because we, our team had a lot of fun. And we, I don't think we were as talented as the Tricom team that we beat that year, but 
our group of guys really bought into what we were selling. And when we got to the Atlantics, I just think we were just a little bit overmatched by the other teams. I mean, the Gulls, the DF, they were just a little bit stronger than we were. Um, the following season was a little bit different where it wasn't a full year with that same team. It was uh, the AAA was more part-time. The way they did it was they had a, in the, in town was a double A league. And then AAA was like a side venture where you just played AAA once a month. And it was a lot, it was a much different feel than the year before where you were on the ice a couple times a week with the boys. You were on, I was on the road a lot with them. I really got to know that group the first year a lot more than I did last year when I was with the Hitman. And I think part of that was I was also coaching a girls AAA major team at the or under 18 team at the time too. That it was just too much. It was too much in one season. I would never coach two teams at the same time ever again. It was just really, really uh, difficult. And, you know, you felt like you were just stretched too, too thin. I, I didn't connect with the group of guys as well. And um, I thought we did some good coaching at the ice jam. I thought our, our team was solid. We had a good back end. Our forwards are a little bit, we, we weren't as strong up front as we had been, I think the previous year. But, you know, we, we, we finished 16th and, and we made the round of 16. We squeaked in. We beat the Novas, uh, who are the first-ranked team, I think more or less because we had a good game plan to take out their top line and we were going to shut them down and really focus on taking, you know, taking their eyes away from them, so to speak. And I thought we did a good job of that. But then we played Dieppe in the semis and they were just a powerhouse. And I think that they're going to have a lot of players drafted this year in the Quebec League in the top five, six rounds. They just had a really, really good team. Of Everybody was strong. And I think that that's going to show in this Quebec League draft, as a matter of fact. But then we, we didn't win the Provincials. The Provincials were on the same weekend. So I, it, our girls were in Gander that weekend, and the guys were in Stephenville, which is about a five-hour drive apart, roughly, we'll say, you know, in good weather. So I coached Thursday, Friday, and into Saturday – with the girls, we beat, we beat Western. Then we lost to the Eastern on a Saturday night. And this was March, almost to a year to the day. I hopped in a car. I rented a car because I was with our other coach, drove out to Gander with him. I rented a car at the Gander airport. I came out of the rink at probably eight or nine o'clock at night. So I went to the airport. I just said like, I'd like to rent a car. I'll, I'll bring it back in St. John's. She's like, all right, here's your Kia Magentis. So I rent this Kia Magentis. I, it didn't have snow tires, I don't think. It didn't feel like it did anyway. It was a snowstorm. I drove across the island at 9 o'clock at night by myself. I got to Stephenville at 10 after 6 in the morning. I, like, <laughs> I don't even know what, what possessed me to do that. I just wanted to be on the bench with the boys, and I felt we, like we could have a boost if I was there and, and I could do a good job and it would kind of energize the guys after a long weekend. Uh, we went, we lost the game one to nothing. So that was a really tough eight hour drive back to town. But um, yeah, that was a really, really crazy trying to drive and trying to stay on the road. I pulled over a few times just to like gather my thoughts, like what the hell am I doing today? Uh, but yeah, I just, I love coaching. And I love coaching him. And that was the last game I ever coached in Hitman Colors. I don't regret it. I wasn't going to go back this year, not because I didn't love coaching under 15 AAA. I just wasn't going to go back because I didn't think John and PJ were there. And that coaching team, I felt like there was a bond between us. 
and coaching with just anybody is I like coaching with people that I could, you know, fall in love with as a, as a team, you know, and I'm so used to being involved with teams my entire life and wanting to go to battle with somebody. I wanted to go to battle with John Bitch and PJ and I always will. And, you know, it's just another coaching staff. I probably wouldn't be able to find that same chemistry and starting vision. And I'm still doing my MBA and I still work at a rink. So I'm still very, and I, I took the Quebec league job in September. So it just wasn't going to be in the cards to be coaching public hockey, but I have applied for the HPP teams here in the province. And hopefully I do get one. I would love to get one. Uh, my mother said she would come watch me coach in Moncton. She's never seen me coach before. And if I get one of those jobs, she owes me. So she, if mom, Bobby Pierce, if you're listening, this is, uh, this is your official invite. If I ever get an HPP and NL, uh, hockey and LHPP job. Well, uh, we'll definitely work on, on getting that clip sent to her, or maybe we'll put it on the vision social media, but um, you know, it, it's a lot of, uh, you know, great experiences that you can have coaching at that level. And, and like you said, you get to meet the players a lot. And I know uh, in year two, it was a little bit of a different feel, just the way that they, they changed it. And that definitely, um, you know, changes your approach as a coach as well. So another thing that I want to talk about is, you know, working with male at that level, you also do a lot of work with the female side of the game in the province. You know, you've coached U18 level and did some different uh, teams and programs. Uh, what is your take on the growth of the women's game in the province? And how has your experience been coaching on that side? Oh, it's awesome. I love coaching girls. It's, uh, it's growing for sure. Um, girls are much different to coach than guys. Um, the attention span, like they are dropped, you know, they're, they're hanging on every single word that you say their listening is incredible. And a lot of them just are really appreciative of what you're trying to accomplish. Um, there hasn't been a whole lot of people that are on the guy side, like if you're a guy's triple a band or triple a peewee or under 13, under 15. Now I'm always going to call it that shocking, but you know, a lot of those guys, they want to stay on the guy's side. They want to coach guys. And, you know, there's, there's still that kind of belief that girls should coach girls and whatever, but I'm not of that belief at all. I believe, you know, I believe in that equal opportunity. I want to help girls hockey grow here in the province. I've always said that it should be equal opportunity, but you know, the girl side doesn't get that same attention. And now it's starting to get more attention uh, nationally, internationally with the, with the new professional women's league. And I think that that's going to grow in the future. I really hope it stays, you know, growing and successful and, and they can keep that going. I know that there's been different, you know, trials with this and it hasn't worked out in the past, but I really, really hope that it stays because it also, it gives girls some hope. It gives girls some, I guess, some, some people to, some people to look up to uh, on that, on that side. And I'm really, really excited to see where female hockey in Newfoundland can go. We have so many great players here. Um, a lot of really high-end talent uh, that just nobody knows about. Like we are really, really well-kept secret here. Um, trying to grow the game, not only on a provincial like development on the skill side, but trying to get more eyes on our players here is always a challenge, but we're trying to make sure that the girls know they're just as good as everybody else in, on what we call the mainland. And um, those girls can, can accomplish anything that they want to. They just got to believe in themselves and keep working and getting better all the time and putting themselves out there and, and make, you know, making your YouTube clips and getting on, getting on social channels, getting, getting highlight tapes or getting full game tapes and shifts and so on out to programs 
and promoting themselves a little bit and and people like your, yourself and myself, Ryan, trying to grow and getting people to notice that, hey, there's a lot of good players here. There's, there's a lot of hidden gems here. Let's kind of set up a connection with that place and, and start to see more players playing university, um, playing, playing um, women's pro, and, and just, you know, getting an opportunity to play prep school and just higher level. Yeah, all great points there. And the the women's game and, and the female side in the province is definitely growing. And we're seeing that within our programs, which again, we will get to for sure. Uh, the next opportunity I want to talk about for you is your time with the QMJHL. And I know here in the past summer, you were able to join them as a Newfoundland regional scout. Uh, how did that opportunity kind of present itself? And then just talk about the entire experience with the Q to date. Um, one of my good friends, Darren Haller, and had had the job for a long time. And I think the last couple of years, it was done by John Ryan. But um, I think they wanted to go in a different direction. I don't know John personally. I'm not going to say anything bad or good about because I really don't know him. I know he's, he's involved in coaching a little bit with the, with the growlers right now, with the under-18 growlers, so good for him. But I think they wanted to go in a different direction. And Darren, where he knew that I had been involved with a lot of players, and been coaching for a long time and had a really good, I guess, grasp of the, the talent that was coming out of here and had worked with a lot of these guys and coached under eight, uh, under 15, um, knowing, knowing the guys that are coming up through the system. I think he thought I was going to be a good fit. So he put me in touch with Pierre LeDuc and Pierre is, I mean, Pierre's got some memory on him. Oh my gosh. Um, he remembered me from when I was playing midget. And uh, I guess when I played midget, I played world under 17 with team Atlantic and, I did all the, the showcases and the tournaments I played in the prospects game. And he still remembered me the, which way I shot. I, it was crazy. Like that's, you know, what, when dinosaurs roamed the earth when I was playing, but uh, how he remembered that from almost 20 years ago is just a crazy memory. And I've got a lot of respect for him for even remembering who I was, you know, I wasn't like I was a top five or, you know, top, uh, top five pick or anything like that. I wasn't. Um, but um, that that's how I got involved there. Then there was numerous Zoom calls with with uh, Pierre Leduc and Pierre Collette. Uh, Pierre's a both Pierre's are tremendous guys. Uh, I deal more with Pierre Collette now, just because he's the director of scouting. He's got almost 20 years under his belt of scouting at the NHL level to uh, you name it, every level. Um, a lot of respect for him, and we have a really good team uh, of scouts right now with the Quebec League. I don't know the Quebec guys as well, but I deal with the Maritime guys and. I was up in Nova Scotia in November. I roomed with Corrado McAuliffe, who, I mean, Corrado played in the NHL with Detroit. He was a goalie with Detroit. Tremendous guy. Um, telling me stories about how his, we were lying in bed. He's over in the other bed telling me stories about uh, about how his first ever NHL game was in the Montreal Forum. He's from Sherbrooke. So, like, you can only imagine the pressure and what that was like playing. I mean, that's like, you know, your dream as a child. Your first game is in the Montreal Forum. And, you know, he's got a lot of experience coaching at every level from France to like, I mean, he's been all over the world to the PEI Rocky. He's been everywhere. So really good guy. I mean, we could have stayed up all night chatting. Uh, Taylor Burke is tremendous in Nova Scotia. I mean, Taylor had a really good career in the Quebec League. And um, Craig Eagles. Uh, Craig, I've got nothing but respect for Craig Eagles. I mean, he's always promoting guys, whether it be from New Brunswick, um, Nova Scotia, PEI, Newfoundland. He's an Atlantic guy through and through. And he doesn't just pick New Brunswick. He's out there selling Connor Shortle, Zach Dean. He's writing articles on everybody, and he's a really good writer. Like, you want to read the articles. And he does know players well, and 
he puts a lot of work into his craft and you know we're not making a a million dollars a year doing this so we're not working for the nhl this is more about the love of the game and i mean for how much we make doing it we don't make a ton um but um the fact that we have such a good team in, in the maritimes uh and in atlantic canada really speaks volumes for the for the passion of of uh scouts here and you know, people might say well this guy should be ranked higher this guy should be draft lower well guess what bud i mean we're in the middle of a pandemic we can't see players play we can well we can see them on instat and we can see them on hockey tv and, and in the cloud software they give us but we can't see them live and there's something special about seeing a person live in you know in the flesh and just being in the stadium and seeing them move on the ice and, and everything like that and the body language after a shift and seeing how they sit on the bench you can't see that when a camera is just watching the play you can't see it so it's very, it's it's very very hard to get a really good grasp of how good players are just by watching video. But the guys have done a really good job of analyzing players, and and it's been really really fun so far. I I enjoy representing the league, and it's uh, the CHL is a, the top under twenty one league in in the world, and I really enjoy uh, putting on the colors and, and going to the rinks on the weekends. Yeah, I think anytime you can uh, be tasked with scouting players and elite players in that matter, it's uh. It's a lot of fun. And like you said, it's not really something you do uh, for the paycheck at the end of the day. It's more about the passion and uh, just wanting to, you know, promote players in your area, especially in Atlantic Canada and dealing with that factor. I think it's uh, definitely a factor anytime that you're looking to uh, work in such a position like that. Um, one of the other reasons that, you know, we kind of talk about uh, that position is interesting is because you get to evaluate players in that age group and maybe it works in your own ventures as well and trying to see where players that you work with uh, kind of stand so that leads into the topic of vision hockey group uh talk about the reason for creating vision and uh, just talk about the brand and what your idea for the program is moving forward i think creating vision hockey group i think the day after you know extreme and i parted ways I went over to Jeremy Cavanaugh's house, who's a really good friend of mine. We had worked together with Extreme, but we had played on numerous herder winning teams, and we played Junior and Amherst when we won our division title. Um, it was just it, – it, it was the perfect storm, really, because Cavie had just gotten laid off from oil and gas. Um, you know, with the pandemic and everything like that, a lot of these companies are really trimming their bottom line. And Cavie was one of the newer people um, with the group that he was with at the time, so – they, you know, they told them it's probably going to be two weeks or two weeks. Um, we're, we're on COVID time right now, two weeks, um, two years before they were thinking about rehiring again. So he's like, you know, I can't wait two years. So we walked around his neighborhood, just chatting about some ideas and, you know, what we'd like to do. And we'd like to kind of get back to, to working together again, because him and I have incredible chemistry on the ice and just, he's one of my best friends. So there's something special to be said about working with, uh, working with one of your good friends and we've always had a very similar philosophy that we want to, you know, promote players developing confidence, um, using technology to enhance learning, um, providing as much feedback as we possibly can, getting great people to surround ourselves with because it's, sometimes it's great to be the dumbest person in the room and just making sure the work is fun and creating something that players can come and say, you know, I, when I go there, I'm getting better, but I also develop my confidence and I, I, you know, I develop my skills, just everything overall, the, the entire picture, you're not just getting better as a hockey player on the ice, but you're getting better as a hockey player off the ice. And you're learning a little bit about life and about yourself. And I mean, even if I can teach a little bit about finances, my background in school is, uh, is I have an MBA. Well, 
I'm have three courses away now. So I consider myself having an MBA, but my background in my undergrad was a business degree. So, you know, always trying to help guys in any way I can possibly help them. So um, that's always going to be a philosophy for, for vision. And so far it's been awesome. I can't say enough good things about the program. Uh, we added a guy by the name of Ryan Stacy. You might've heard of him. He's, he's involved with hockey. And uh, I remember hire, we hired him via Zoom. I, he emailed me a few times previously. And I was like, all right, who's this guy click? Like, who's this guy click? And, and you know what? Um, credit, to, credit to him. He is very perseverant. Uh, I don't know. Actually, I'm going to throw that. His perseverance, I should say. Um, his tenacity. He never gives up. And, you know, I, I really respect him for the fact that he was always at me. And he has a lot of cojones uh, to be able to just write random people that he's probably never met before and say, listen, I'm doing a podcast. Would you like to come on? And, and I think that that just goes to show that, you know, he's, he, he's, I think he's going to be an up and coming name. And after talking to him and his technology know-how, and I think he could really fit into our business at that time because Jeremy and I weren't really all that analytics. Not, you know, we don't have that same knowledge as he did. We were more on nice guys and he came from a totally different background he, he had um, you know a degree in sport management brought brock university and just his his side we could really use a good useful mind to complement what we had he was a natural fit and then my brother is also involved from the fitness side and we had a guy by the name of john reed doing a lot of our off-ice stuff and he was also a former hockey player played uh, major junior junior a so we've had and and Rebecca Babiak, Callie Langme, the list goes on. We've had some really, really good people and have some really good people in our business. And it's not just about, it's not just about me and Cavi. The surrounding people are what make a business. And, you know, I can't say enough about all those guys and helping us get to where we are today. And, you know, we would be going even stronger right now. I think if, you know, all the lockdowns and stuff, but when we come out of this, uh, we'll be ready to rock again and uh, looking forward to getting it going with them again really soon. Yeah, I uh, appreciate the kind words there, but I think that it's been a lot of fun working with that group, and it's really uh, great to see whenever you can see success on the ice and then off the ice as well, and we've been able to do a lot of different programs and, and different ideas and continue to work on new things, so it's always uh, great when you have that forward-thinking uh, program, especially in a place that uh, you know a lot of times people are looking for that extra little bit of opportunity or something new to try to to push uh, their own limits and what they can do at the next level. Well, I think that you got to always put people in your circle that are not only competent and, and intelligent and, and educated, but also people who are really passionate about making players better like we are. And, and Rebecca was just a prime example of someone who's really passionate about making players better and someone who wanted to develop as a coach. And it was, it was fun working with Babs for the couple of years. Uh, she started working with us at Extreme. She, she came on board. And I remember the first time she was ever on the ice with us, I was like, there's no way this girl's ever going to make it as a coach. She's just incredibly negative. And, and two years, fast forward two years later, she sees it as more of a glass half full than a glass half empty. And I think she's going to be a name that, you know, write that one down on the calendar and come back five years time. She's going to be uh, really something in that space. I think that she's a tremendous, she's going to be a tremendous coach. She's getting better all the time. Her mindset uh, is getting a lot better. She, I think she understands that not everybody when they come to her is going to be D1 caliber right out of the box. She's going to have to work with those players. And I think she's starting to see more on the side of, you know, okay, they do one thing really well, but they got to work on some of these other things, but that's okay. 
they have genetics, they're passionate, they're hungry. Well, that's, that might be a foundation and we can work with that. You know, not every single player has it all. You know, you're not, you, not everybody's Connor McDavid. Not everybody is Sidney Crosby. You know, Michael Ryder is one of the greatest hockey players in the history of this province, but he, people say he couldn't skate. So you have a, a Ryan Klo made a lot of money playing in the NHL, but I used to, I used to train with Ryan and I used to work like do skating programs with Ryan and I'd beat Ryan around the ice, but Ryan ended up playing the NHL and had an incredibly successful career. Absolute beast in the gym, 18 years old, you know, 285 for 10 on the bench like an ox like he had his own kp bike the bike that we had for him wasn't good enough like it wasn't didn't have enough resistance that's how strong that man is he is just a different beast but the point is like i think rebecca's starting to see that overall picture of okay I, i've got something to work with not everybody is going to be incredible at everything you know and especially coming from some of the backgrounds that some of these players come from they may have never been taught how to play the game coming out of harbor breton or lewisport or twilligate or some of these outport communities where the coaches, some of these teams don't even have coaches. Some of them, they're going on the ice and they're just dropping pucks and having shinny. So it's crazy. Yeah, it's a different perspective for sure and uh, something to consider. But I think uh, Vision has done a good job with dealing with those kids and, and teaching them uh, a new way of doing things. And uh, with Vision and their small group session training, one of the things that uh, we have to deal with a lot of times and, uh, you know, we all love it is the 6 a.m. sessions. But I think for you, what gets you fired up is the fact that there are players willing to put in the work, uh, you know, day in and day out at that hour as well. Maybe from both the perspective of a scout and a coach, uh, what stands out to you as other factors that might show a player who is, you know, maybe capable of taking that next step to that next level? We just hit it on the head. I, I think interest and passion is something that you can't teach. I mean, you, you can't, you know, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And, and that's, you know, if you want to get up and you're up at five o'clock, like raring to go every single time and you want to get to work and you're practicing when mom and dad aren't telling you to practice, that's such a, a key component to success. Like if you want to be on the ice Christmas Eve, um, and we had some programs this year on Christmas Eve and you want to be out there and mom and dad aren't telling you to go, you're just going or new year's Eve or new year's day. We had, I think we had a skate this year, new year's day at 8 a.m. But we had guys, I mean, older guys too. So I think that that just goes to show that, you know, there's a lot of people who are really, really interested here in getting better, but that's the really the base of that pyramid of success is, is the passion, the interest, that like genuine interest. Other than that, like some of the sneaky things that nobody ever really talks about that scouts don't really look at, I would say it's genetics. I think genetics has a really big part to play in, in capacity of a player. Um, like if you have an athletic dad who played high-level soccer, and your mom played university soccer. I mean, I, I like those genetics. I mean, you you know that those athletic genes play a big factor into it. Um, if you have two tall parents that are athletes, you're probably going to get a tall kid that's an athlete. I mean, the chances you play the percentages, genetics play a big factor. And okay, I can see that there might be some potential in that player because they, I know the family backgrounds and I know okay, well you know the mom was a tremendous volleyball player and was a gym teacher. And the dad was, you know, this or that. And the other thing, I mean, I'll just use um, uh, Zach Dean, for example. Zach's whole family on the dad's side all played either major, junior, junior A or, or pro. So that's just, you know, the genetics. You're like, I, I like that guy's chances. Um, I, I think outside of, outside of genetics and work ethic, 
um, really having the, the mindset for the game and, and the mental skills, I think is something that we don't really talk about enough, but having the confidence to try things, to be creative in the offensive zone, having the confidence that if you, you know, you can get out of a slump quickly or having that, I call you know, having that swag that you believe that you're as good as everybody else and that, you know, you're going to go out there and you're going to execute what you're supposed to do day in and day out. I think that that's something that um, confidence, people can mistake confidence for cockiness. And I think a lot of people want to shun cockiness and they say, well, you know, cockiness is this and that. My opinion, cockiness is somebody who goes to the rink not unprepared because they think they're just going to win automatically. Um, or they just think they're really, they're just really good, or they can't be wrong, or they don't want to learn. That to me is what cocky is. Confidence is going there and having that mindset as I put the work in, I prepared, I studied, I did my homework, I did my research, I worked on my game when I didn't have, when I wasn't told to, you know, I was in the gym, I, I've done, I, I eat really well, I sleep really well, I'm well prepared, and then I show up to the rink, and I've got that mindset that I'm going to beat that other guy. And that's, that's not cocky. That's just, you did the work and you believe in yourself. And I think we have to stress that more to players is, you know, you are, you're a great player. You're, you know, you've got this talent you've got and coaches. I find there's a lot of coaches that, you know, they, they point out the wrong things or you talk to parents about a player and you're like, you know what, this person skates really well, but the first thing they say is, Oh, but she doesn't think the game or he doesn't think the game very well. Well, negativity doesn't make an expert. She skates really well. Well, how about we work on some of these other things and then see what the ceiling is. If she's really interested or he's really interested, skates well, well, maybe we can find a role for them on our hockey team. So, you know, confidence and, you know, always, you know, genuinely believing in what you can do and your abilities is something that I think like some people don't have that. Some people, they, they don't have that ability, but, um, uh, I guess my three sneaky things that I really look for in a player confidence, um, the passion level, right? Well, confidence, like the head, the mental skills, um, the passion and genetics are three really, really sneaky things that if you incorporate that into your scouting and you're looking for a player and they check off those boxes then you might be able to find some value in the mid to late rounds when you're drafting. Yeah. I think that's a really good point there that you make about those uh, three skill sets and, and something that you can, you know, maybe build on if, if other areas of the player's game isn't uh, at the level you'd like. And it's all about putting them into player development. Then at that stage, uh, looking at players maybe who have all the boxes ticked at the early stages, uh, a few players that you've had the chance to work with, Zach Dean, as you mentioned, and Alex Newhook is another one who a lot of people know. Uh, just talk about those two players and their development over time from what you've seen and, and where you think they could eventually reach if they continue on this path. Well, I, I think back in 2013, someone, one of my friends and I, we were just playing like a little game and we said like, okay, pick like a sleeper that you think could play in the NHL from Newfoundland, pick a, like a guaranteed person who you think is going to play in the NHL. And then, you know, I think we had like a list of five people and Zach Dean was on my list. Um, right. Zach Dean was a kid that when you're younger, you're saying, okay, the kid's got the genetics. Um, he's got that he's got that ability to go out there and if somebody does him dirty he's going to go after him he's got that edge about him um he's not gonna let you get over his time and always skated well nice hands good good ability to skate with you know with crossovers over speed as we're calling it now those you know those lateral crossovers that everybody likes to see austin matthew skating up the he he's always had that ability 
um, can play center and wing. Um, you know, he's, he's going to have some, he's got to thicken out a little bit and work on a few things, work on his ability in the face-off circle. And, and there's a couple other things I'd like to see him do to round out his game, but uh, there's a tremendous amount of natural talent there. And I've always really been high on his game. Um, Alex Newhook is a good example of genetics. Um, you have a father who was drafted by Verdun in the Quebec league, never went to camp just because I don't think he wanted to leave Newfoundland and his mother is an absolute animal. Like she is like a marathon runner. She still runs, I think like half the U S marathon, the big ones when pre COVID she runs them all. And she, and she does well at age, like in between she's in her late forties. So she's just one of these people that has an insatiable work ethic and, you know, you add up that work ethic and this hockey skill, you put that into one person and you have Alex Newhook. I mean, I, I've done skates with Alex. I remember this was saying in previous summers where I didn't have any ice time in the morning or the afternoon or the evening. So he'd be like, I'm coming home for two weeks. Can we get on the ice? I'd say, well, by the only time available is midnight. So he would be like, okay, no problem. We'll go midnight. So I'm like, oh, darn, <laughs> I got to get up at five to go on the ice at six. So uh, we go up midnight, him and a couple other guys. So we go up and usually I'll do like 60, 65 minutes of skills. Like it'll be organized, structured, you know, drills, skills and drills, whatever. And I'll go off the ice. I'll take my skates off. The other guys will go off the ice, take their skates off. It's quarter after one in the morning, like you would. And I'll come out. And fortunately enough, you know, my family is one of the owners of the rink. So, you know, I get the keys. I got access to the turn the lights off, whatever. And I come out and Alex is still on the ice. Everybody else is pretty well in the showers. And you're looking out and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, you know, just working on my backhand. So he's that guy that really understands that like repetition, repetition, muscle memory, working your self-conscious, have your head up all that. He really buys into all those things. And he has an insatiable work ethic combined with a lot of talent. And uh, I think, you know, it's him and Dawson are going to have good hockey careers. They're going to have good solid NHL careers uh, with whichever teams that they play with, whether Colorado, New Jersey, or whoever they end up playing with, they're going to have long careers that are successful because they work at it. They have good genetics. They do a lot of good things. And, and I just really, I just have this feeling about those two guys that they're, and they're going to have the opportunities. They were first round picks. They're going to get a look wherever they go. And they're going to have that, that'll always follow them too. So it's like, you know, if you make a trade for a guy, well, he was a former first round pick, right? Or, you know, maybe Colorado, we're in a situation where they're real deep, they're making a cup run or two. And, you know, who knows what ends up happening there, but someone is going to, whoever gives him an opportunity, he is going to take that opportunity. He's going to run with it, whether it be Colorado or wherever. Same thing with Dawson, New Jersey, uh, wherever he gets an opportunity to play, He's going to he's going to be successful. He he's a very well-rounded player, and you saw that at the World Juniors. Yeah, both of those players were definitely uh, fun to watch at the World Juniors. And Zach Dean has been great with Gatineau. And uh, you know, moving into another topic, with two of those players, both Newhook and and Dean, uh, both of them would play their minor midget year in Ontario. Uh, Alex was with the York Simcoe Express, and and Zach was with the Toronto Young Nationals. Uh, we see that trend sometimes of players moving from remote places to these bigger cities to get more exposure and, and work in different programs. What is your perspective on this move for young players? And do you feel there is situations where staying put might be a better option? Um, 
I think that this has changed a little bit with the creation of things like Instat and Hockey TV and Live Burn and this and that. I think that there's ability to get exposure when you're still at home. Um, I, I think so. This technology now, like I mean, I'm just gonna throw Instat a bone on this one. What a crazy cool technology that is. I mean, I can watch a a player play in my PJs. And they've already got the shifts clipped out for me. They might as well cut up my food and eat it for me too. It's about the same thing. It's incredible how awesome that technology is and the, and the, the data that they provide. I have a really good idea of how good a player is on every face-off circle. Uh, it's, it's crazy. It really, really cool program. Kudos to them and in staff for doing a great job with that. Um, I think it really comes down to the individual player squeak. And like some players, they're very mature kids. They're big, strong. Um, I guess you could say they're on the fast track to playing pro hockey. I'm okay with that route of going away early. If you are ready mentally, you're ready physically, you are uh, ready emotionally because it is not easy, especially during, uh, during these times where there's orange alerts and amber alerts and you don't know one day you're allowed to play games, the next minute you're not. The next minute there's a breakout of COVID in your dorm. You just don't know. It's such an unpredictable time. You have to be very mature. And I look back, Alex Newhook, when he was 14, I could have a conversation with him like I was talking to a 25-year-old. Him and his sister, Abby, incredibly mature kids. Um, Abby was 13, 14 years old. And we'd be in Boston on like an elite travel trip with Extreme at the time. And she would be wanting to hang out with myself and the coaches because the players weren't at her same maturity level. And two very mature kids and very driven and focused on wanting to get to the next level. Uh, the same thing, Zach, very focused and determined to get to the next level. Um, also had family, I believe, in Ontario. That helps. Uh, I think Alex had a connection to family in Ontario as well. And Abby's down in Boston now, but Abby, there's a connection between the new hooks and the family down there. So there's still some family ties that, you, you know, you've got some familiar faces I think that that definitely helps too. going away with somebody, maybe a buddy or someone that, you know, can also help if you were doing it at a younger age. But really, I think to answer your question, Ryan, it really comes down to the uh, experience, the maturity level, the ability, the player, the drive of that player and factors that maybe might be outside of our control now. Like, I mean, I would even recommend players if next year, if they're thinking about going junior, going to prep school, going to, going to the u.s because you know you're going to play there's a high likelihood that you're going to get a full season of games versus canada it's a much more conservative government where you know you get a breakout of cases and they might shut down for a month you just don't know um what the vax you know how fast we're going to get rollouts of vaccines and so on but that's outside of my control i guess to answer you know again really comes down to each individual player i'm okay with it if the player is ready physically mentally and they're very passionate and, you know, just everything has to be, it has to be the right player program fit too. They have to really, really like you as a program. I wrote an article a while back on the xhockey.ca website. This was uh, probably last summer and it, it had a lot of traction. A lot of people read it. A lot of people wrote me about it and said this and that a couple of prep schools weren't too happy, but you know what, listen, I'm just going to speak from the heart. And if they don't like it, well, that's just too bad. Yeah. It's uh, it's good to be, uh, you know, clear, concise in, in your thoughts in that area. But uh, I agree with you in the fact that you say that a lot of times it comes down to maturity. And for some players that can be 13 years old, as we've seen, but other kids, it has to be uh, maybe 18 or possibly even later. 
you know, you said that a lot of times things like Instat Live Bar and Hockey TV can uh, make maybe playing in a remote area a little bit easier and you can still get exposure that way. Uh, the topic of recruitment comes into play then and it's a, an area that every program does a little differently. Based on your experience and what you've seen, maybe from an outside perspective in that process, how much of the responsibility lies on the team to find these players? And how much other responsibility do you think lies with the player in terms of getting their own promotion and putting themselves out there? Oh, I, like, I'm really a big fan of a player putting themselves out there, like show that you've got the confidence to say, listen, I'm good. Here I am. Um, here's, here's some shifts of mine. I'm really passionate about going to this level. This is my goals. Here's what I'm good at. Here's what I'm not good at. Here's what I want to keep getting better at. And I'm hungry here I am. And programs like that, any program that's in, that has anyone like me in there, that's what they want. They, they want somebody to say like, listen, there's thousands of players. What are you doing to stand out? There's, I mean, hockey is a global game. Now you can, you know, play hockey in South America. You can, you know, we were talking earlier on before we even started this podcast, there's rinks being built in the Bahamas. I mean, come on. So it's a very worldwide game. My buddies in Northern Norway doing skills. I've got people all over the planet doing this. It's not like it was years ago where the game was more Canada, Northern U.S., and that's it. It's California. It's Florida now. Like, hockey is rampant in Florida. They love it down there. So there's a lot of really good players. If you're not exposing yourself to programs, they'll find good players somewhere, right? They'll find players probably closer to them in, in terms of geography. So, like, don't be shy. Like, you know what? If school doesn't write you back, that's it you know, where a program doesn't write you back, well, you know what, move on to the next one. But you, you, you might get some programs that'll hit. You might get someone that writes you back and say, wow, I really like this guy. And I like this guy's attitude. I like this guy's passion. Come on up for a trial. And that's your opportunity right there. And just go make the best of it. Like, you know, you can't rely on other people to see you now in a world where there's probably somebody else that's doing exactly what I just said to do. And they're getting the job over you because you're roughly the same ability, unless you're Connor McDavid. And there's only, they're only, they only come up once every 10, 15 years. I mean, promote yourself and what a great world to promote yourself. I mean, you got YouTube, you've got, um, you know, like all these uh, zoom. I mean, you've got all these things that you can promote yourself and the world can see it. Why not? I, I have nothing against using some of these, tools as leverage to get people to notice that you're a good hockey player there's nothing wrong with that you know like it's it's no different like as a person you are your own brand in some respects um, be your own brand and show people that you're a good hockey player that you're a good person you can contribute to a program and and I'd, I'd rather that than just sit back and hope that someone's going to reach out to me it's more of a new aged approach I think and you're seeing a lot of players start to gravitate towards that there's a few in Ontario that come to mind. Uh, I won't mention their names here today, but uh, you're definitely seeing players start to promote themselves. And uh, in addition, obviously, to the, the on-ice product and, and things that they're doing in terms of nutrition and, and working on mental skills in all these different areas. Um, you know, for you throughout your time in the game, you also kept up to date on the academic side and you've referenced it a few times here today and uh, also working on getting your coaching certifications and, and different courses where possible. What is your thought process about continual learning and, and trying to stay on top of things in that area? And what would you suggest to others who are considering maybe going this route as well? I, I've, I'll always support continuous every day, every hour, every minute, every second of the day, trying to learn, whether it be about yourself, something else, 
anything, anything that interests you, just be a sponge for information and sponge for learning. Like, I mean, I have an undergrad, I'll have my MBA next, this time next year. And after that, I, I told my brother and my dad today, I'm like, yeah, I'll probably go do my PhD in sports psychology. I'm like, you're going to keep spending more money. I'm like, yes. I said, I, I, I'm a continual learner. I'm a lifelong learner. I always will be. Um, I'm always trying to find different ways to teach, find different ways to approach with players, with millennials. I, I'm, I was born in 1985. Some of the kids they're working with now are 2006, 2007. That's, that, that's a lot of time and a lot of technology and a, a lot of things have happened between those, you know, between that 21 year stretch, they're coming into a world. I didn't own a cell phone when I was, you know, 10, there didn't exist. So, you know, learning how to deal with people in a more sensitive world, all these, you, you've got to continuously be learning and adapting and trying to get as, as good as you possibly can. I'm really good friends with Teddy Purcell. So him and I, he works for Adam Oates, who I would love to be able to say someday I'm a disciple of because I love his approach. I love the fundamentals. He's very simple. Players like simple. Players don't like complicated. They like simple. And they like, okay, like he, he cares about me and he wants me to get better. It's more about, it's, it's about me versus it's about him. And I feel like Adam has this philosophy and I really like his approach of how he, te- you know, like what he talks about, how he teaches. He doesn't have $6,000 worth of gear on the ice when he's doing practices. He's not trying to create some type of new gimmick that makes players better. At the end of the day, there's 10 guys on the ice. It's five guys on five guys, and you've got to find ways to create time and space with that many people out there, how to use your line mates, you know, how to, you know, how to find the soft spots, how to use your head to be able to create offense, how to play defense properly. He, he teaches the game from a mindset of, hey, listen, I, I play with 350 goal scorers in the NHL. If anybody, he's going to know how to, to make people better around him, and he's going to know how to create offense and how to use time and space. And he's a, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Adam. And I, I was actually talking to Adam or not talking to Adam. I was talking to Teddy and he was going to have me up to do some camps in Toronto this year, just push pucks, just be on the, on the different side of it for me. That's just moving pucks around and basically just doing what they ask. I have no problem doing that. Uh, just being assistant because I can learn from them. And I think they're doing some camps down in Dunedin this summer that I would like to go down and help out with. And Teddy mentioned that if they do those camps, then I could come down and do them and just have from a totally different perspective, fly on the wall mentality and, and just listen and, and just watch how they deal with players, you know, some of the best players on, on, on the planet. Um, but if, if you're not learning, then you are in trouble. I, I really believe that like you're either getting better, or you're getting worse, Peyton Manning. And, um, you know, you're getting better if you're always trying to absorb something and something that you can pass on to somebody else and make players better. I think, you know, if you're stuck in your ways or you're set in your ways, you see some coaches now and you can even probably see some of the coaches in the NHL. You're starting to see that these they're stuck in their ways. And after they get some of these jobs, I don't think they'll get another one in the NHL. You know, I think I know if John Tortorella ever listens to this podcast, you might not like this too much, but I think this will be his last job. Um, just because he's just a guy that has not been able to adapt as a person to the millennial player. And you're starting to see that, you know, he's benching some of his best players. He's trading, you know, he wants guys traded guys, you know, I don't think that that, that that's a winning lineup there that he has and they they're struggling right now. He has a shelf life because he just can't adapt. Barry Trotz, he can't adapt. He can go into any locker room. He has instant respect. Everywhere he goes is successful. 
but guys will go a million miles for that man. And you can tell some of his former players, you see their tweets. They're like, yeah, I'd go to war for Barry Trotz any day. That's what you have to create with players now, not fear. You know, I don't believe in creating fear now. I believe you have to, they have to, you have to earn respect from the player. And from there, then once you earn their respect, then you start to become more on a friend basis while still having that position of power versus, okay, I'm just going to rule with an iron fist here. And I think that's the way coaching is moving. And just from my readings and just from experience of seeing guys at the NHL level, those guys seem to have longer shelf lives than some of these guys that are a little bit more old school. Yeah. I think what you're, you're seeing now is uh, the coach player relationship changing and it's more of a peer to peer relationship as opposed to, uh, you know, one above the other. And uh, a lot of times we see that uh, with on team settings, but also uh, in a setting like yourself working with players uh, more interpersonally and, on the Showbound podcast, Alex Newhook gave you a comment of being one of the best skills coaches in the province and one that has helped him and others to date. I know coaching and working with players has been kind of a natural process, and maybe looking back 20 years, you didn't expect yourself to be in the position you are. Uh, but maybe looking five, maybe 10 years down the road, where do you see yourself and doesn't involve as many morning sessions as it does today? If my feet are still attached to my body, man, <laughs> it's a lot of cold. Those, the Capital Hyundai Arena at 6 a.m. is not very warm, as you can attest to that squeak. Uh, it's a pretty cold building. Um, I, I, I really do genuinely appreciate that comment that Alex made on, on the podcast today. Um, really, really cool. I you know Thank you so much if you are listening to this, Alex. I really genuinely appreciate it, and I appreciate working with you. Sure, you've had lots of opportunity to pick other people, but selecting selecting vision and selecting myself is always going to be appreciated. Uh, where do I see myself in that period of time? Um, I'm probably still working with players from Newfoundland. Um, I'm probably spending a little bit more time. Uh, my family has a place in Florida. I'll probably spend a little bit more of the off season, say May, June, maybe down there. Um, but I think that uh, I'll always, I genuinely want to make a difference in this province of players. Uh, I'm very hungry and driven to do that and kind of, you know, I think Newfoundland is a real hidden gem that doesn't get the same respect as even the Maritimes. And I want to change that. I want to change the culture of that. Um, so I think I'll, I'll always be working with guys uh, maybe on a more of a limited capacity in 10 years time, but you'll still see me out there. If I got to go 6am, if I got to go 4am, if I got to go 2.30am, I don't care. I've shown in the past, that I'll work with guys if that means they're getting better and they're having fun. And, you know, I'm kind of leaving a footprint behind to say when, you know, when I'm finished with all this, that I inspire other people to want to do this, inspire other people to want to get involved with coaching and make a difference in the community and make a difference in their home province. That gave a lot, uh, that gave a lot to me. Hockey's given everything to me, everything I, you know, a lot of things that I have are a result of hockey. So, you know, I want to be able to, to leave that impression on the province and, and really have that create a culture here that Newfoundland is a half province, not a province that, you know, oh, well, they, they don't have a whole lot of stars there. I, I like to be looked at like Nova Scotia's looked at, you know, they've got Sid, Nate, Brad Marchand. Like, I mean, they get some of the best NHL players in the world that are from Nova Scotia. Why not us? And not only on the guy's side, but on the girl's side, I, I want Newfoundland to be known as that. And when I'm finished doing that, um, or when I'm finished trying to trying to along with everybody else here in the province that's doing this, put Newfoundland on the map, then I'll probably go teaching somewhere in a classroom that's warmer 
or do something on the psychology side or something on the advisory side or the agent side, because, you know, I can't see myself not being involved with hockey, man. I mean, when I'm not working coaching, I'm driving a Zamboni for the love of goodness. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's more of an obsession than a passion at this point, but I, I think it's uh, safe to say that some capacity you'll be involved in the game. And uh, there's a lot of other people like you in that capacity that just want to continually learn and pretty much that makes up the community of my hockey resource, uh, their community on discord and they have people from all over the world and coaches and scouts and analysts. And they just talk about a bunch of topics and, and different things that are happening in an industry. So for anybody looking to get involved and learn more about that, check out my hockey resource on Twitter and Instagram. AP, one of the things they talk about on that program is a lot of different resources that they like to use. Obviously in comes into play, but books, articles, podcasts, TV shows, you know, the list goes on and on. Uh, for you personally, what are some of your favorite resources that you have looked to for reference in the past or maybe that you use currently? Uh, right now I'm reading a sports psychology book. Um, I just finished up um, a book. It was done by a PGA golf instructor who does a lot of um, mental skill stuff with a, with a PGA uh, with on, on the PGA side, like works with uh, – uh, has worked with hundreds of players on the female and male side in the LPGA and the PGA and really, really cool. Uh, like he's also a, he was a, a retired professor as well. So it's a really cool book. Uh, it was called uh, how champions think by Bob Rotella. Really good book. I enjoyed reading it. I like reading coaches books. So like I've got here on my stack right here, I've got, um, this is one I haven't read yet. The Mike Babcock lead, no doubt. I've got to get to that. Once I'm done this site, the sports psych book, I've got the new Belfry hockey book. I'm probably going to read that. Um, I read Phil Jackson's 11 rings, really good, different approach. Um, this is a behind the bench uh, inside the minds of hockey's greatest coaches. I've read that interesting, a lot more about like personal experience on that one. Um, this one's a really good one by Seth Davis. It's called getting to us. And I really like that book. Um, a really different perspective, like some of the best coaches in the history of all the sports they talk about in that book, like they, they go through detail, like Dabo Sweeney is in that one, Doc Rivers. And I was really impressed with some of those ones because um, you really get to see it from a different perspective uh, on the basketball side, especially where um, some of the coaches there were talking about the players that they coached, like um, one of the guys coached Ant Antonio Davis. And they would say that Antonio Davis had a really hard time developing a relationship with him because Antonio Davis didn't like older males because he didn't like his father because his father was a very abusive person so I thought that was like you know like to get to that level where you can tell that to your coach is pretty cool like that's a unique relationship so you know I try to take something from every book I'm also still I'm doing my MBA so on the business side I'm reading customer success and customer experience 3.0 these are both on my coffee table right here so I am always reading brother there is never a second and there's my sports psychology for dummies uh, that's my that's my book there look at how thick that thing is so I got some time to work on that one um, but yeah I'm always reading I'm not really a, a big drills guy I create most of my drills sitting on my couch with a cup of coffee in my hand um, I watch a lot of NHL games there's always a game on here at my house and I'm looking at what they do at that level and um, looking at some of the drills you can create to basically emulate some of the things that I'm seeing in the games um, whether it be Okay, a lot of rebounds are scored in this particular spot or created this way. 
or you know like the other goal the other night the spezza goal where he faked the clapper but the fake was so good the way he moved his upper body it was like a change up in baseball like you've really got mm-hmm. the batter out like you almost get the batter out in front just like you get the goalie to go down early you know always trying to figure out ways that i can teach that to players and break it down even easier and relate it to things is something i'm always trying to do is make everything relatable so um yeah just watching some of those things and be like okay we can add that in to a drill or we can add this into a drill and then i draw it i draw them up um you know i sit here i've got books and books and books of drills i draw up i, I don't like to copy drills usually from any online sources or anything like that um very rarely uh, most of the drills are literally drawn by hand old school um, sitting down watching watching games and and just uh, saying okay that's how I can create time and space that way and you know I'm not a guy that has a million dollars worth of gear on the ice um, I'm more of an old school guy that way but um, trying to teach head up techniques being able to turn both ways amazing how few guys can uh, do a glide turn both ways at any level um, you know really sticking to the fundamentals and being able to do everything with the puck you know hands out low um, head up, making sure you're doing all those things properly. So then when you get to the next level, you're working in a subconscious mind, meaning you're, you're, you just do it automatically. You don't even have to think, you know, LeBron James doesn't think about shooting a three pointer. He just does it. It just happens because he's done it a quadrillion times. You want to create, once you get the right technique, it's just a matter of doing it over and over and over. And that's, uh, you know, the drills that we create a lot of the time are doing a lot of similar things over and over, but getting faster at it, getting better at it, getting quicker, at getting the puck on and off your stick or catching and releasing quicker and with more accuracy and so on. But um, yeah, that's what I'm reading. And, and that's me. Yeah. A lot of great resources there and uh, leading into the drills, you know, there's so many uh, things that you can take away just from watching things like the game or or maybe you're watching box football you know anything along the lines of that you can always pick up something and uh, the other way that you can obviously learn a lot is is from people telling you and mentors in the game and uh, I'm sure over the years you've had a lot of people that have helped you along the way so maybe just talk about a few of those mentors who helped you kind of learn the game and get to where you are today. Um, I think you could kind of look at my father being probably the biggest mentor I've ever had. Um, you know, he, he's been involved with the game forever. I mean, he started, my father started working at Howie Meeker's hockey school back in the 1970s. So it's just, my dad has always been around hockey. He still manages the rink that I work at today. He'll never, ever not be working in hockey. My dad is, is a lifer and he's a guy that just about every player that's come out of this province uh, my dad has coached him at some point. I, I can't think of any guys that even say the guys in Labrador, like I'm pretty sure Chad Penny came to my dad's hockey school back in years and years ago. Uh, Danny Cleary, Michael Ryder, Purdy, Teddy, Colin Greening, all of those guys, my dad's coached every single one of them. So um, my dad definitely would be probably the greatest mentor I've ever had when it comes to coaching. Um, you know, Andrew McKim also, yeah, I've got to mention Andrew. I mean, Andrew's done a, I mean, a wonderful job with, with players here. I think, you know, he has a different style, but you know, he's come from the highest of levels and he's had some of the best coaches in the world. So getting the chance to um, learn from him, he's definitely been a mentor for, for me, for sure. Um, Other mentors. um, I think looking back on, you know, I talked to Corey Crocker, fair bit. Corey's a guy that I've liked some of the work that Corey has done over the years. He coached me two years in junior and coached me, 
um, in different other, you know, ball hockey and a few other things. He's coaching me there. But Adam Oates, definitely a guy that I've, I look and I talk to Teddy a lot. And it's kind of like I'm talking to Adam because Teddy and Adam are very close. But I think Adam is a guy that I would like to really learn from and, and kind of cut my, like, continue to grow as a coach from him because, you know, I think he's, in my opinion, I haven't seen him all yet, but I think that his philosophy is really, really simple and good and smart. And I really like his philosophy about the game. And I'd really like to continue to learn from him and do some camps with him. Even if it's like a situation where I'm just going up and pushing pucks and being a, uh, you know, just being a drill helper or whatever, I get an opportunity to, he works with some of the best in the world and, and they swear by him. I mean, Mark Scheifele, Blake Wheeler, Connor McDavid, these guys swear by, by Adam. And a lot of guys think, you know, Connor just does stuff on his own or does power age pro. I know like he works with Adam Oates, like Wayne Gretzky contacts Adam Oates and says, listen, we got to slow him down a little bit. He's got to work on, you know, you know, some of this, you know, speed change and being a little bit better. So he's not always ahead of the puck and every he's too, almost too fast. And you can see some of the stuff that he's doing. Um, some of these look away shots and some of these, like, you know, the way he controls the puck and plays with his head up, you're like, man, that's Adam Oates all the way. I mean, you know, watch Stamkos, some of the things that Stamkos does, you're like, man, it's just like a look away pass. Like, you know, the eyes move the sticks and he, he they're, they're so good at that. And you, you can clearly tell that that's like, they're talking to Adam a lot. And Adam communicates with his players a great deal and they make him, be- he makes those players better for sure. And, and I've got a tremendous amount of respect. You know, he's got a kind of a secret sauce that I think a lot of guys, you know, if you, again, three, you said he's the only player that has ever centered three fifty goal scores. You got to understand the game, the intricacies of the game. And he's a guy that I would love to be able to work with and, you know, uh, be able to just kind of pick his brain and, and, you know, pass along some of those things with my own style, of course, to, uh, to the players here. Yeah, I think Adam is a, is a player I'd love to have on the podcast as well. Um, but I, he's definitely somebody that you could learn a lot from. And uh, just talking about your mentors, uh, your dad and, and Andrew McKim, just being involved with uh, a number of great people throughout your years in the game, it, uh, it definitely rubs off on you over time and, and helps point you in the right direction. Turning it around this time, if you could go back in time to yourself, uh, maybe still as a player or someone who's looking to get into the game of hockey in a coaching capacity, What's one piece of advice that you would give them in hopes that they would be successful? I think one is always, well, I guess two, two things. One, put in more work than somebody else. Uh, You know, we're in a world today where, you know, everybody's got a phone and everyone loves Instagram and loves Snapchat, but have a consistent schedule where you're putting in, okay, I'm going to do my shooting or I'm going to make sure I do this today or I'm setting my goals to say, I'm going to do this, this, and this, this week, and I'm going to accomplish this, this month. And then by the end of this year, I'm going to be here. And then by the end of the following year, I'm going to be there. And then by the time I'm here, I'm getting here. Setting goals is so important. And I don't think enough people have a set of goals. I remember walking into the tripen dressing room and this was probably a couple of months ago now. And you you look around and I said like, you know, does anybody know what you're doing next year? And everybody kind of looked at each other like, uh, I'm not really sure. You know, and, and, you know, it's like everybody's just kind of living for the moment. And I did the same thing when I was young, but you've got to have a plan. And then that plan gives you some direction as to where you want to go in not only hockey, but in life. You know, I want to get my undergrad. I want to go here. I want to go there. And yes, it's going to change over time. 
but I still having a map and having something to check off my planner every day is, is something that, you know, you got to live by. And I really believe that's, that's a, definitely a start to the path of success is having a plan and something that you're working on that plan every single day to achieve it uh, with short and long-term goals. Um, I think, yeah, that's goal setting for sure. Having that passion and promoting myself. Like I said earlier today, um, making sure that I'm putting myself out there for, for schools, not just expecting people to look at online at stats. Okay. Yeah. That guy's got really good numbers in this league. I'm going to reach out to him. That's not how it works. You know, like you have to promote yourself or, or go to your coaches or go to your management and say, guys, listen, like I'm really hungry. I want to move on to the next level. Can you guys send this tape to some programs or contact somebody that knows some people away say, listen, can you reach out on my behalf? I'd love to go to this particular school, or I have this dream. I want to get here. Can, you know, I'd like to play at this level. Can you reach out to a few teams for me? You just never know, but a team in the North American hockey league is probably not scouting Newfoundland right now. So, or very unlikely. So you have to put yourself out there to people and have that confidence to say, I'm good enough. I know I can do this. I believe in me. I'm going to reach out to, Andrew Pierce or Ryan Stacey or somebody that's involved that cares and, you know, and put a, put a tape together, put some shifts together or say like, do you guys have any tape on me? Can you send it to some programs? I'm, you know, I have my goals. I have a, a roadmap of where I want to be. And this is how I, I want to get there. You know, show people you really genuinely care. How else are they going to know? You know, and I think that those, all those things coupled into one, if I could go back in time, and I would definitely have taken the game more seriously. I had a lot of talent. I was, I was a pretty good player, but, you know, I didn't take it seriously. I didn't have the roadmap. I didn't have goals. I, I, like to, I like to have a lot of fun. I didn't really have that strategy to plan and put the, my, best, my best foot forward and really genuinely work at it day in, day out with, and give everything I possibly had to it. And, and that would definitely be something I would recommend to players. Yeah, I think that piece of advice is definitely something that can be applied to a player, but also to a coach or somebody looking to make it in the game, you know, put yourself out there and have that daily goal that you've set for yourself and accomplish it. And at the end of the day, you can be successful in that capacity. Don't be afraid of, don't be afraid of rejection. Like, so what if a person doesn't write you back or says, no, we're not interested. Like for every no, all you need is one yes. All you need is one opportunity to make it in life in any, anywhere. I mean, you're looking at that applies for getting a job too. I mean, you apply to a hundred places um, that you, of course, making sure that they fit your, you know, your budget and something that you're interested in or whatever, all those other things being equal, you know, put yourself out there. What's the worst thing that can do write you back and say, go to hell or, you know, F off or what is the worst thing that they could do? That's not all that bad for everything else. You might get someone that says, you know what? I really like this guy and no, don't stop. Like keep writing. I'll just use this as an example with my, with my MBA. Um, I think everybody just thought, well, he's just smart. He, he got in because of his grades. I didn't get in because of my GMAT score. My entrance score in my MBA was uh, actually just a little slightly below the average for uh, recommendation or to get in according to, you know, like online sources, you needed an X grade. It was like a 550. I had like a five sum, like it was a low five. So, because I'm not very good at math. Um, so 
I just drove the recruiter insane. I wrote her every single day. I mean, I'm surprised she didn't block me on email because I wrote her that many times and said, listen, if I get into this program, I'm going to get higher than an 80 every single course. And fortunately enough, she liked hockey and she's a big Detroit Red Wings fan, Florida State, uh, NBA admissions like the Detroit Red Wings, go figure. And we hit it off. And I started talking to her. She gave me an opportunity and I, I'm going to graduate with 3.5 GPA if I keep my average up where it is today. All because I just said, you know what, I don't care if I go down in flames here, I'm just going to keep asking and maybe good things will happen from there and, and she'll think that I'm interested. And it's, it's, it goes, I think really like put yourself out there and don't be afraid. Write again, write a third time. What's the worst thing they block you or not say anything back. I mean, whatever, maybe, maybe they're wanting you to write a second time. Who knows? But just don't be, don't be afraid of rejection. And, you know, like, I mean, Thomas Edison, how many times with the light bulb? I mean, it just, you can go back on all these occasions. I mean, the rock had seven bucks in his pocket before he turned things around his life. He didn't give up. You know, he just kept working and it just, I, I can't stress that enough. Just don't, don't take no for an answer. If, if you think that you're a good player, keep putting yourself out there, keep working on your game and, and just don't be afraid of rejection. Yeah. A tremendous piece of advice and a great way to end off the interview. AP, I just want to thank you again for jumping on a call here and, and talking hockey and a little bit about your story and uh, hopefully things continue to go well with vision uh, for my paycheck as well. And I wish you all the best here moving forward. You're getting a raise, brother. <laughs> all right, man. Take care. I'd like to thank Andrew for joining the podcast and discussing his experiences in the game. Providing input on players who want to progress to that next level is common practice for AP. So for doing just that and for giving us insight on his process and philosophies, I would like to thank him once again. If you would like to get in touch with Andrew to learn about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Dave Smith, head coach with RPI. A successful NCAA coach, Dave gives some great insight on his role and the NCAA process as well, so listen closely to that release on this upcoming Wednesday. Once again, thank you to everyone for your support of the podcast, as well as the Hockey Minds Conference. We will be ramping up our announcements around the event in the near future, so stay tuned for more exciting content. As always, stay safe, and all the best.